This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. episode 110 thank you so much for listening to our wet ass podcast that's a wop (laughs) for loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about contrary to popular belief not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes Uh uh-uh nope 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 uh there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and fruit loops is a podcast all about them we will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because well the news is racist allegedly and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a fruit loops patron so who are we talking about today beth well this is part two of the zebra murders which occurred in san francisco california from 1973 to 1974 they were racially motivated murders committed by a group of black men associated with a splinter group of the nation of islam they killed at least 15 people and wounded eight others if you haven't listened to part one yet go on back and listen to that and we'll meet you right back here correct ah but uh before we get into part two how you doing? I'm good. Uh, just living that COVID life, you hey. know, not, not a whole lot going on. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like I say this every week. There's nothing going on. <laughs> You're like the Drake meme, like, ooh, COVID. But you see something else, like, I don't know. What are you into these days? You still crocheting and knitting? <laughs> just knitting, yeah. <laughs> right on. That's how hard yeah. we are. Represent. Respect. <laughs> and how are you doing? Man, I am doing all right. Doing good, good in the neighborhood. Bless Black and Highly Favored. It is Black History Month and nobody is fucking with me these days. <laughs> uh, however, I noticed that, uh, you know, my kids have been, uh, when I say coming home from school, I mean leaving their bedrooms and coming to the living room. Right. Uh, and I'm like, uh, so any Black History Month lessons today? None. None at all. What? We are... By the time this airs, we will be more than halfway done with Black History Month. No yeah. lessons. So, like, me and my husband have been having to, like, 
do it ourselves, like impromptu, which is fine. Like, for example, today, Beth, a little while ago, you gave me a beautiful candle uh, with one of my idols, Oprah Winfrey, on it. <laughs> and my daughter today, my offspring, said, uh, who is that? And I said, this is an opportunity for Black history. <laughs> and I told her Oprah Winfrey's life story. And now oh, Oprah wow. Winfrey is one of her idols. Oh, so, how cute. So, yeah. But uh, just to reiterate, Black history is American history. So do better. Yeah. yeah uh, just add some Black history for Christ's sake. That's all I'm asking. That's all. Come on. Yeah. Um, but uh, that is that that's that's that. Uh, now we're going to get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Yes. Thank you. All right. What's in the bag, Beth? Well, Brie on Facebook commented on our Mayuki Ishikawa episode. And they said, I just wanted to come here and say... (laughs) (laughs) That's That's my That's my version of a hip-hop air horn. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) My friend and I listened to this together in my bed like a bunch of old people. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) Kept laughing at the hip-hop air horns. I learned a lot of the history you mentioned later on in life, the college years. It's still gross and still as shocking. A lot of people don't like to acknowledge that the USA inspired eugenics. Mm, no, no, so, no. It's yeah. uh, American history isn't the prettiest or the neatest, but yeah. worthy of telling nonetheless, right? Yes, it is. Yes. For sure. So, Brie, hip hop air horns to you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. What else is in there? Fiona, also on Facebook, said, I've loved listening to this podcast. Wendy and Beth make it feel like you're sat around the table with them having a conversation and a glass of wine or two. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went back to the beginning and I'm still working on catching up, but you've been a great distraction. When when I've been running out or walking the dog during the various phases of COVID lockdowns in the UK. Oh, yeah. Keep up the great work, ladies. I'm looking forward to getting up to speed ASAP. Thank yes. you, Fiona. Thank you. Fiona, I love that name. Yeah. Uh, what else? I got one more an right. email that we received from Meg. Okay. And she said, I recently started listening after your crossover on Murder Squad and just started supporting you on Podbean. Oh, hip hop air horns to you. Hell Meg. yes. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, I fell asleep at the wheel there. <laughs> then the very first new episode I hear takes place in my adoptive town, Palmyra. I had never heard anything about this case before today, even though I kind of dig true crime, obviously. Hey. <laughs> So, hello from the still super-duper pasty white central PA area. Uh Uh-oh, it's it's still dusty there, huh? Still super-duper white. Oh, boy. (laughs) Wendy, I'm willing to bet that your mom wanted butter, milk, or eggs from the Mennonite store, or even better, baked goods like AP cookies or wet-bottom shoe fly pie. Mm. If you ever see it, try it. It's full of molasses and is simply amazeballs. It sounds delicious. Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for all you guys are doing and keep up the good work. Well, and thank, thank you, you Meg. Meg. Yeah. That was so lovely. Yeah. Well, uh, we got some new patrons and Patreons. Uh, Eugenie F. and uh, Sarah H. and uh, Veronica. I forgot to uh, jot the last initial but you know who you are so here are your (laughs) tunes i hope you don't hate them but if you do there's nothing i can do about that (laughs) 
So here we go. Eugenie taught me good home training. Daddy taught me how to love my haters. My sister taught me how to speak my mind. Oh, why they make me feel so goddamn fine? I'm flawless. <laughs> Eugenie F, thank you so much. You know who you are. And uh, this next one is for you, Sarah H. Pods will make a dance. Pods will make a dance. Sarah H. clapping. And she ain't news your hands. There we go. That means she's <laughs> clapping with her butt, not oh, her hands. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Culture corner yes, there. there we go. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Sarah H. And this one, uh, here we go. I need a dollar, dollar, dollar. That's what I need. Hey, hey. I had a job, uh, Veronica, let me go. She said, I'm sorry, but I won't be needing your partner more. I said, please, Miss Veronica, I need to cry more than you know. So she signed up on Patreon just to help support the show. Hey, hey. That was awesome. Thank you. Good one. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. For supporting our little show. Yeah. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6000 cash, give us each 3000 we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? This is part two of the Zebra Murders, execution-style shootings that killed 14 people and wounded eight others between October 1973 and April 1974. The gunmen were black and the victims were mostly white. The killings got the Zebra label from police use of a special radio band, the Z Channel, in their investigation. All right, y'all, let's dive back into the timeline. Finish it up. What's next, Beth? Well, last week, we named the victims and survivors. We talked about the killers' early lives, how they met each other, and their involvement in the Nation of Islam. They were involved in a splinter group of the NOI, which one member, Anthony Harris, claimed called themselves Death Angels and that had a goal to start a race war by killing white people. They killed 15 people, two were killed with a machete, and the rest with a gun. I don't even own a gun. <laughs> Every time I see those words. 
Uh, so <laughs> remember, as we discussed in the first part, this was a wild time for the Bay Area and for the United States. There were the zebra murders. The Zodiac Killer was active. The Symbionese Liberation Army was wiling out. The Vietnam War was still underway. Nixon resigned uh, around this time period. Yeah. And there were racial tensions and economic tensions. Times was yeah. hard. Yeah, it was. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first attack occurred on October 20th, 1973, when at first the group tried to kidnap some children. When that was unsuccessful, they kidnapped two adults, a husband and wife, at gunpoint, brought them to a remote location where they killed the female victim, Keita Haig, with a machete and then attempted to kill her husband, Richard Haig. They left him for dead, but he survived. Anthony Harris married his girlfriend, Carolyn Patton, giving her Keita Haig's wedding ring. Unfortunately for Harris, but probably fortunately for Carolyn, the marriage between the two only lasted 17 days. That's a short one. That is very short. Never heard (laughs) of such a story. Take that, Kim Kardashian. According to Harris, during this time, he attended meetings at Simon's apartment. Simon repeatedly asked Harris if he could kill anybody, whether he had his mind together and how he felt about white people. Simon told Harris he would have to go out and kill some people to show he could be trusted. Harris told Simon he was not going to kill anyone because no one had hurt him personally. To which Simon allegedly replied, man, you still haven't got yourself together yet. On October 22nd, 1973, Cooks was hanging out by the black self-help when a white woman walked by. Linda Lou Anger, a 27-year-old college graduate with a degree in psychology, was walking home after she got off a bus nearby. Cooks began following her. When she realized a man was following her, Linda removed her keys from her purse and ran to the entrance of her apartment building. But before she could open the door, Cooks grabbed her arm and held a 22 caliber automatic pistol against her neck. Linda decided to be compliant, and Cooks forced her to walk with him to a nearby parking lot, then to a park when Cooks decided that the lot was not private enough. Linda, having a degree in psychology, sensed that Cooks wanted to talk, so she encouraged him to do so. Cooks asked her how she felt about the world situation, the environment, the war in Vietnam, and the oppression of Black people. In discussing these subjects, Cooks said the time had come to put an end to, quote, this sort of thing, end quote, meaning the oppression of Black people. Cooks said the, quote, world had to be changed and that people were going to be killed and the streets would be lined with blood. Cook said people would be killed indiscriminately and that there was no use to be afraid or upset with it. Agree. The world does need to be changed. I just don't think this is the way. This ain't the move. Uh, (laughs) Linda felt the same way. She agreed. (laughs) That's a good white lady. Uh, Linda, Linda tried to convince Cooks that killing people was, quote, not a valid thing to do, end quote. Cooks replied that he didn't feel that was the case. That was just the way things were. The conversation lasted about an hour. Cooks threatened 10 to 15 times to kill her. Yikes. Yeah. He then took her to another vacant lot where he raped her. Afterwards, he took her back to the first lot where she'd left her coat, briefcase, and purse. He asked her if she was going to call the police, and she assured him that she would not, that she sympathized with what he believed in. Cooks insisted on going back to her apartment with her, so she took him to her apartment. He seemed to want to talk some more, so again, Linda encouraged him. He then raped her again, and afterwards he asked for her phone number and said he would call her soon for a date. He again admonished her not to call the police and then left. Linda called the police immediately. (laughs) 
the audacity. I mean, this is not the first time this has happened when a man has raped a woman and then asked for her phone number. What the fuck, man? Really? Yeah. It was in another story. Ah, but still, it's so, um, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know. And um, I, yeah. by, ooh. <laughs> Oh, what boy. goes through their minds. Yeah. Oh, but speaking, if you are wondering what goes through someone's mind, there is a podcast. We've talked about it before. Ear Hustle. And they oh, yeah. interview a man who raped and sodomized a woman. Oh, and God. he describes. Yeah, it's it's disturbing. But he describes what was going through his head at the time. And it I mean, we've said this before. Rape is a crime of power, but it entire it was all about power hurting her. So he could so she could see how powerful he was. Anyway, uh, gross. Yeah. Two days later, Cooks phoned Linda and asked why she had not been in her apartment the previous night. Ooh. She told him that she was afraid of him. Cooks asked if she had gone to the police and she said no. Cook said, do you want me to just leave you alone? Linda said yes. And Cooks hung up. That, uh, I mean, I, I still don't know. He asked for the phone number. He calls her. He's watching her. You're not at your house. Yeah. Uh, can we be friends? No, yeah. we cannot. No. Okay, <laughs> goodbye. Uh, and that's, I guess that's it. Huh? Uh, no, it's not the end of the story because on October 29th, Francis Rose, 28, a physical therapist, was driving up to the entrance gate of the University of California Extension when Jesse Lee Cooks blocked her car's path and demanded a ride. She was then shot four times in the head and neck as she sat in her car. When police arrived at the scene, a woman who had seen the shooter gave them a description. The suspect was a black male, approximately 25 years old, 5'9 to 5'10 in height, muscular build, wearing a blue knit watch cap and an olive drab army jacket and light trousers. Trousers. Who said that? <laughs> uh, pants? Yeah. Trousers. All right, Beth. <laughs> okay, Beth. Well. <laughs> this gal over here, right? Well. Am I right? Uh, this is my friend Beth here. I can't take her anywhere. She even wears like trousers ridiculous words. Yeah. Uh, so Cooks was spotted a few blocks away and was stopped by the police by police officers. He had discarded his cap and jacket, but he was uh, sweating profusely. Uh, now this is in October in San Francisco, so I don't think it's really hot. Not hot, no. Anyway, he was found to be carrying a gun and he was arrested. Cooks claimed that Francis Rose had offered him a ride, but he had become angry when she used racial slurs. He then shot her three, possibly four times. Cooks told the officers where he had discarded his cap and jacket and officers found the navy blue watch cap and olive green jacket about 50 feet from where Cooks had been detained. I gotta say, people might be like, it's just words, but it's not using racial slurs or any kind of slur um it really is like violent and does something to you viscerally and yeah if somebody says the n-word to me or racial slurs to me it is i either want to cry um or punch them in the face yeah get and, really mad yeah and so that's completely understandable but i don't think she she said she did that I do not think so either. I also do not think that it's uh, justifiable to kill somebody. To shoot somebody. To shoot somebody. Yeah. Um, I'm just, uh, 
basically, this is uh, just me filling up space because I lost my spot <laughs> in the script. Uh, so so he had um, raped Linda. When was it? Uh, October 22nd. Mm-hmm. And then he tried to call her and, you know, she rebuffed him. <laughs> oh, so he's and then hurt. Yeah. So now he's His angry. Ego That's is, what I think yeah. happened. Yeah. Look, what would we do without our resident OG of true crime? <laughs> because she just she just named it right there. Uh, you get all of the hip hop air horns. I get best. the stars. <laughs> yes, that was that was fire. Thank uh, you. So on November 9th, Robert Stokeman, age twenty six, a clerk with the Pacific Gas and Electric Company (PG and E) is what the locals called it, uh, was assaulted by an armed man. The man cornered Robert and put a gun in his face. After a struggle during which Robert was grazed in the neck by a bullet, Robert gained control of the gun and shot the man three times. Right on, Robert. Mm-hmm. Police found the man nearby and he was later identified as Leroy Doctor. Mm. He was arrested and later convicted of assault with a deadly weapon. Some sources say that Doctor was also a member of the NOI Splinter Group, but he was not charged later in any of the other zebra killings. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so on November 25th, 1973, Salim Sami Erekat was 53. He was a Jordanian Arab Muslim uh, and was working at the grocery store that he had owned and operated for 13 years when he was robbed. He had a wife, Somia, and four children ranging in ages from a young teenage girl to a 20-year-old son. Every member of the family worked in the store, which was open seven days a week. Sammy was robbed at gunpoint, then was bound and shot dead in the back room of his grocery store. Mm. Sammy was light-skinned and may have been mistaken for white. At least two people came into the store while the robbery murder was taking place and they were told by a black man that the store was closed and that Sammy was not there. Oh, uh, Sammy's body was later found in a sitting position in a corner of the store's restroom, his hands tied behind his back with a necktie. His wallet, checkbook, and wristwatch had been taken from him. The pockets of his trousers in which he usually <laughs> carried... He said trousers. Trousers again! <laughs> I said it! Oh my God! Who do I think I am? Uh, <laughs> the pockets of his pants in which he usually carried 150 to 200 dollars had been turned inside out and were empty the money in the store was also stolen i made you say trousers you did how dare you i'm just kidding (laughs) police found one 32 caliber bullet and one empty 32 caliber shell casing on the floor of the room where sammy was shot a quilt with nine bullet holes but no blood stains was apparently used by the gunman to muffle the noise of the gunshot a palm print was lifted from the doorknob inside the room where sammy was killed which was later matched to anthony harris wow well that's some good police work i'll say yeah. that uh two days after the ericot murder harris pawned ericot's wish with his watch y'all for ten dollars at a san francisco pawn shop harris later testified that he took the watch from the black self-help store because manny owed him money when harris pawned the watch he used his real name and the address of black self-help not smart not smart no nope. 
Then on December 11th, 1973, at about 9.45 p.m., 26-year-old Paul Dantic, an artist, was shot as he stopped to use a payphone. He was shot three times in the back and chest with a 32 caliber automatic pistol. The 32 caliber bullets that killed Danchik were fired from the same gun used to kill Ericot. Harris later testified that Danchik was killed by Manuel Moore, but that he and J.C. Simon had been nearby when it happened. Witnesses reported seeing two black men leaving the area, one holding a gun. Two days later, on the evening of December 13th, two attacks occurred. The future San Francisco mayor, Art Agnos, he was 35 at the time, and was then a member of the California Commission on Aging. He was attending a meeting in the largely black neighborhood of Potrero Hill to discuss building a government-funded health clinic in the area. That sounds pretty dope. Yeah. After the meeting ended at about 8.20 p.m., Agnos was standing next to his car talking to two women. When a black man approached and shot him twice in the chest, Agnos was seriously injured but survived. Wow. The, yeah, amazing. The 32 caliber bullets fired at Agnos were fired from the same gun used in the murders of Ericat and Danzig. On the same evening at about 9.45 p.m., Marietta DiGirolamo, she was 31, was walking along Divisadero Street when she was shot in the back and chest three times with a 32 caliber automatic pistol by a black man. She did not survive. Marietta's purse was found next to her body and nothing had been taken from her. Again, the bullets matched those found at the other murders. She was shot in the back and the chest. Um, and so I don't know if it's been it's been clarified or established if it was the back first or the chest first, but that's somebody coming up to you and then like you go down and then they shoot you again, which seems unnecessary, excessive. Yeah, but overkill. Yeah. yeah. Also, um, when you research this case, some sources describe it as like there's two waves of murders. And this right. is a tsunami of murders. <laughs> yeah. In- one very short period of time. You're right. Another double attack happened a week later on December 20th when an 81-year-old janitor, Ilario Bertuccio, was shot while walking home from work in the Bayview District. He died almost instantly after four shots to the shoulder and chest. Police found four 32 caliber shell casings and one 32 caliber bullet was removed from Ilario's body. The bullet matched those found at the murders of Ericat Danzig, Agnos, and DeGiro Lamo. That same evening at about 10 p.m., two hours after the Bertuccio murder, 21-year-old college student Teresa DeMartini was parking her car when she noticed a white car with a black male driver double parked at Central and Grove. Teresa saw a second black man walk from Fulton to the white car. The two men talked and looked at her as she got out of her car. As Teresa was locking her car, the black man standing next to the white car walked over to her, pulled out a pistol and shot her three times. Yikes. Yeah, as she fell to the ground, a fourth shot shattered the window on the driver's side of her car and the bullet lodged in the back of the front seat. The man ran away. While lying wounded on the street calling for help, Teresa saw the car back out into the street and then head straight <gasps> for her. Oh my God. Yeah. Santa Maria. <laughs> To avoid being run over, she rolled under her car. Smart lady. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Hang on a second. (laughs) Let me stop you right there. Yeah. Nice. A nearby resident witnessed Teresa lying in the street and the car being driven by the two black men almost run her over. Wow. That is so 
impressive. Yeah. Uh, Teresa Martini survived. Although one bullet nicked her spine, she remembers her assailant as having a zombie look as he shot her. It was like he was in a trance, quote, uh, he was looking at me, but he was looking through me, end quote. Teresa described her assailant as an approximately 26-year-old black man, and she assisted a police officer in drawing a composite sketch of her assailant. Police again matched 32 caliber bullets to those used in the shootings of Erikat Danzig, Agnos de Girolamo, and Bertuccio. So on December 22nd, two more victims were shot within six minutes of each other. Neil Moynihan was 19. He was walking near the Civic Center when a man walked in front of him and shot him in the face neck and heart um very brazen uh and cold heartless then uh 50 year old mildred hostler was shot four times as she was heading to her bus stop both victims were killed one 32 caliber bullet was removed from neil moynihan's body and four 32 caliber bullets were removed from hostler's body they matched the bullets from the earlier shootings and by this time in the 70s like Ballistics are a thing, right? So if you're committing crimes um, and you're trying to be crafty about it, they don't seem to be crafty. You know what I mean? No, they're using the same gun for every every one of these. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It just, uh, in my mind, it's like, there's an end. There's an end in sight to this. Right. We know we're not going to be able to do this forever. So I'm not really sure why they didn't use different guns. Um, Part of me thinks maybe they only had one gun, but another part thinks um, they they didn't really care if they got caught or not. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was not the objective. I mean, the objective was to start a race war, so. Not to avoid getting caught. Right. Right. Although, so I, But I don't know. I'm just speculating. Hey, man. And maybe it's because uh, guns are not, not e- maybe they weren't easy to come by after the Black Panthers not uh, uh, would walk around with uh, AR-15s and assault rifles. And then all the white people were like, whoa, black people with guns. Black Let's change all the laws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and make it really hard we for them to get. We can't have that. Yeah. yeah. So, and that maybe that and, had something these- to do with it. And a lot of them were ex-cons, and they were not allowed to have guns. So, yes. Yeah. So it could have been that they only had the one. Glad we had this talk. On December 24th, an unidentified John Doe victim was killed. The man's remains were found on February 10th, 1974. The unidentified man had been bound and badly butchered. And all that was found was a torso and limbs, missing hands, feet, and head. It was it had. Yes, it had washed up in the city's Ocean Beach district at the foot of Pacheco Street. The murders caused widespread panic in San Francisco. White people started going out in groups and they avoided going out at night. Businesses closed early and people were afraid to send their kids to school. Investigators from the SFPD were baffled by the randomness and apparent lack of motive in the killings. And the city ordered an increased police presence throughout the area. There was a common pattern to the shootings. The victims were white. The perpetrators were black. In most cases, the gunman would walk up to his victim, shoot them repeatedly at close range, and then flee on foot. And of course, one link among the, the shootings was the killers used the same 32 caliber pistol.
I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. A special task force was formed to solve and stop the murders. To prevent ham radio operators from honing in on their operation, the SFPD used a special high-frequency Z radio band. Since the letter Z is known in common phonetic use as zebra, the group became known as the Zebra Task Force, and the murders became known as the Zebra Murders. I think most people assume that the term referred to black-on-white crime, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the naming is a little too cute and uh, this may have (laughs) been a consideration. Yeah. Yeah, but when you, you know, to hear you say it, uh, you know, whenever you're like spelling something, Z is in zebra, uh, right? right? And uh, yeah. so I'm on the Z is in zebra line, uh, <laughs> doing solve, trying to solve the Z or is in zebra in murders. Or UK zebra. No, they yeah. do. I, think I so, didn't yeah. know that. Get at us, UK Fruit Loops <laughs> gang. Zebra, huh? I like that. Anyway, on January 25th, 1974, a group of black men were driving a van selling fish door to door as a part of the Nation of Islam sanctioned business when they were pulled over by Berkeley police. They objected to being stopped, leading to a physical altercation. During the fight, one of the fish salesmen, Larry 3X Crosby, disarmed one of the officers and pistol whipped him with his own gun. Crosby then dropped the gun and took off running, at which point one of the officers shot him in the back, paralyzing him for life. I was just going to mention that I don't know exactly why the police pulled these men over other than they were looking for they were black men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I hope any human being can understand how irritating it is to be pulled over by police in general, but harassed by police and, but constantly, constantly. Yes. Just imagine. Um, And so it doesn't seem unusual to me for them to fight back. I, right. 
I've heard I when this police brutality stuff started to really take up pull uh, pull up steam, at least in the the 20, you know, 2010, 2015 current day era, you hear a lot of white people going on YouTube saying, if if black people would just comply, yeah, yeah, they shouldn't. And you don't understand how deep rooted the harassment and the lack of accountability from police on black and brown bodies is. And so physical application, not good. Shooting somebody, not good. However, uh, I think you can, you cannot ignore the other thing that is not good, which is police harassment and brutality. Anyway, I'll shut up. The next day, a huge protest was held at NOI Temple number 26, where Harris Green, Simon Cooks, and more were members. It was later revealed that Berkeley police had been ordered to profile black Muslims and, quote, generate cause for arrest, end quote. So this is before the broken windows policing, adding to the outrage. Two days later, the killings resumed when on January 29th, 1974, five people were targeted. It was the deadliest night yet. Mm. Tana Smith, 32, was shot while walking to a fabric store. Vincent Wolin, 69, was shot while walking home. John Bambick, 84, was shot while collecting bottles and cans. Jane Hawley, 45, was shot while doing her laundry at a laundromat. And Roxanne McMillian, 23, was shot while carrying items from her car to her new apartment. Oh, a new apartment. Can you imagine the possibilities? That's uh, just sad. That's a lot of people in Very one sad. night. And yeah. I'm guessing they used the same gun again. Yep. Uh, only Roxanne McMillan survived, but she had to use a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Uh. The 32 caliber bullets and shell casings were retrieved from the crime scenes, and they, again just as we suspected, match the ones from the other shootings. In each case, a black man was seen committing the crime or fleeing the scene. On February 1st, 1974, Thomas Manny fired Anthony Harris from the Black Self-Help Moving and Storage Company because a number of items such as cameras and stereo equipment had gone missing from the store and from customers' storage units. That is also unfortunate because the Black Self-Help Store was meant to be an empowering um, place place yeah. for the black community and they hired convicts right and yep sounds like it just wasn't working out for this individual um on april 1st 1974 two salvation army cadets thomas rainwater 19 and linda story 21 were walking toward the mayfair market two blocks from the salvation army officers training center when a black man who was following the pair overtook them turned around fired four shots at them, and fled. Thomas Rainwater died. Linda Story survived. Police recovered four thirty-two caliber shell casings at the scene. Two fragments of bullets were removed from Rainwater's body, and one thirty-two caliber bullet was surgically removed from Linda Story's body. And, of course, they matched the others. Thirteen days after the Rainwater Story shootings on Easter Sunday, Ward Anderson, a merchant seaman, and uh, Terry White, a 15-year-old student, were both shot as they stood at a bus stop at the corner of Fillmore and Hayes Streets. A 15-year-old student. Mm -hmm. Um, Their attacker was a black man who approached the corner on foot and fled after firing. Both survived their shootings, and they both later identified more as the shooter. What do you know? 32 caliber bullets and casings retrieved from the scene matched the others. 
On the evening of April 16th, 23-year-old Nelson T. Shields IV, son of a wealthy DuPont executive, accompanied a friend to pick up a rug at a house on Vernon Street. Shields had opened the back of his station wagon and was making room in the cargo area for the rug when he was shot repeatedly and killed. And, of course, 32 caliber bullets and casings uh, were found and matched those from the previous shootings. No. Would you believe it? Uh, This new wave of murders beginning on January 29th caused people to renew the precautions they had taken during the first wave. The city suffered losses in revenue by a dramatic drop in tourist traffic. The San Francisco treat. I mean, so many tourist items in San Francisco. And this... (laughs) Did not help. Uh, streets were deserted at night. Some white people began talking about forming vigilante committees, which sounds scary, Awful. Uh, and spreading similar terror among black people. Like too, they weren't already too terrified. late, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, guess what? Though it's already been done. It's, it's done. <laughs> you don't need to. You don't need to even lift the finger. Uh, <laughs> easiest thing ever. Easiest thing ever. And uh, yeah, this just just culture corner. So uh, racial tension peaked at the time, and police took anonymous calls from white people promising to kill black people in revenge. Uh, we talk about white supremacy all the time. This is not a thing that any black person or brown person or person of color created. And so it's up to white people. Beth, talk to your white friends about dismantling <laughs> white supremacy. Uh, okay. okay. You have your orders. I'll work on that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> then the San Francisco Police Department, in the most extreme case of racial profiling in modern U.S. history, introduced a short-lived stop-and-frisk program endorsed by Mayor Joseph L. Known as the zebra sweeps. Mm. Every black male out after dark was stopped and interrogated. And if he was cleared, he was given a certificate that became known as a zebra card, (gasps) supposedly assuring him safe passage. At least 600 black men were stopped and questioned by the police during the zebra sweeps. And I, this makes me think about all the white people complaining about wearing masks. Imagine if <laughs> Talk about it, you were stopped Talk about in it. the street because uh, you're a, a white person. Like, oh, you're a white person, so uh, we need to uh, stop and frisk you. Woo! Just imagine that. Give this white lady all of the awards because I'm telling you, I'm watching these videos and they're like, you're discriminating against me. This is discrimination. And they're not saying it to anybody black. However, I would just like them to say that to my face that I am discriminating against them for wearing a mask. mask. And let's see how this conversation ends. Uh, Anyway, <laughs> the the zebra sweeps provoked vocal and widespread criticism from the black community. Absolutely. This was essentially a state sanctioned lynch mob. Mm-hmm. The policy also faced internal criticism and heightened racial tension within the SFPD as well. The Officers for Justice Group, led by Nation of Islam or NOI associate Jesse Byrd, described the policy as racist and unproductive. Now, you have these in small letters quote unquote, but I, I'm reading it. And in my head, it sounds like a shout racist and unproductive. Uh, 
That's, <laughs> that's what it is. It should be in all caps. All caps, in other words. bold, underlined. <laughs> uh, g- give it a couple notches on the up on the uh, font size button. Because <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Right. Earl Sanders was one of the few African-American cops in the police department at the time, and he and his partner, Rotea Guilford, were the only black people in the homicide unit. Rotea Guilford was known for overcoming seemingly insurmountable barriers, achieving unprecedented results, and keeping the door open for others to follow. Sounds like a great guy. Mm -hmm. These two officers grappled with the same racism that presumably fueled the killer's acts. Yeah, and another thing... This is an, this is full of culture corners. Black people, indigenous people, people of color feel like we carry the entire our entire race on our backs. Even right. as a woman, I don't feel that way. Like not as much pressure anyway, but as as a as a black woman, I work in corporate America. I'm like, I'm going to fuck this up because who knows if the Wendy coming up behind me, you know, I want to do my best so that they get a chance too. And just sort of the idea of carrying all your accomplishments and your mistakes on your back for your entire race. I think something that That's a lot of pressure. White, white people might not understand that entirely. I think maybe white women. Yeah. Uh, some. Yeah. Not all, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I kind of get that, but uh, I'm positive not to the extent. Yeah. That's why you're the best white lady in the whole rap game. <laughs> now, from his book, The Zebra Murders, Sanders says, quote, from what I could see, the only one thing that seemed to guide every other possible motive, whether it was to start up a race war or just avenge what they saw as injustice, comma, was rage. Uh, a crazy, insane rage over what they thought whites had done to blacks. Once you got to that realization, if you were black, you had to pause because the truth was there wasn't a black I knew who didn't feel at least an inkling of the same thing. End quote. Acting on a lawsuit filed by the NAACP and the ACLU, U.S. District Judge Alphonse J. Zirpoli ruled the widespread profiling of black men was unconstitutional. Day. (laughs) (laughs) What's that, Alex? (laughs) Obvious for a thousand? And police suspended the operation. And I don't know, but I my understanding is it didn't go on for very long. I don't I no, can't just recall. a few days, yeah. I think. Both Sanders and Guilford suspected early on that the Nation of Islam's Temple Number no. 26 at Geary and Fillmore might be the epicenter of a conspiracy. But the police department had no way of infiltrating the temple. It simply did not have enough black cops qualified for undercover work. Earl Sanders has commented that, quote, integrating a police force isn't about what's fair. It's about good policing. The reason the SFPD tried the sweeps was that they felt they couldn't police the black community from the inside. So they tried to impose their will on it from the outside. That might fly in a dictatorship, but not in a democracy. Amen. When people are free, the only way to police their community is from within. And the only way to do that is to have a force that's representative of that community, one that makes them feel they're included rather than excluded. Is this man still alive? Because I feel like he has needs to have a talk with all of the police unions in the entire <laughs> United States. Because... <laughs> 
That's it in a nutshell, it yeah, sounds like. it makes a lot of sense. That makes all of the sense. Uh, Rotea started to think about a better way of doing things. On April 19th, he wrote a memo to Charles Barca, captain of the Inspector's Bureau, proposing a 30-person task force of mostly black, plainclothes officers. The officers would go into neighborhoods where the, where the killings had occurred to talk with witnesses who might not have reported all the things they witnessed two white officers. His plan was approved, and Inspector Guilford ran the team with Inspector Sanders assisting. Now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth. In April 1974, the city of San Francisco offered a reward of $30,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons involved in the zebra crimes. Police released to the news media two composite drawings of a suspect, and on April 18, 1974, those sketches appeared in local newspapers. After the sketches were released on April 22nd, Anthony Harris called police and agreed to meet with zebra case detectives in Oakland, claiming to have firsthand knowledge of the, quote, zebra murders, end quote. He was reluctant to tell police details of what he knew because he distrusted the police, duh, and he was concerned about revocation of his parole. Mm -hmm. But during a number of interviews on successive days, Harris provided the police with information on the crimes. Harris claimed to be one of the persons featured in the police sketches. He provided specific details regarding several of the attacks, which the police had never released to the public. Harris minimized his own involvement, claiming to be a witness but never a participant. He did admit that he had been present at many of the crimes, and he relayed details that had not been released to the public. I don't know when this changed in the laws, but just being there makes you just as guilty, right? Yeah, yeah, but they have a choice in whether they charge you or not. Mm. Uh, Harris told police that the murders were not the work of a crazed loner. He told the police about the black Muslim group and told them about a homicide that had not made the papers, that of a homeless white man abducted from Ghirardelli Square. He said the group took the man to Black Self-Help Moving and Storage's warehouse, where they gagged and tied him. According to Harris, while this man was conscious, members of the group took turns hacking away his limbs. Oh, my God. Can somebody come over here and pull my jaw up off the ground? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that's a rough one. Harris told the detectives that they had dumped the body into the bay. His story matched details in the case of the John Doe, whose torso and limbs missing his hands, feet and head were washed up in February of 1974. That's really sad. Yeah. Um, according to Harris, the killers had repeatedly tried to enlist him as an accomplice, but Harris claimed that he could not bring himself to commit cold-blooded murder, which led his friends to suspect that Harris might be a police informer or agent. Harris said he began fearing for his life. He also wanted the $30,000 reward being offered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, if, if you guys are offering let's it. Let's not I'll kid ourselves it. here, okay? Did we mention that <laughs> times are hard? This is 1974, everybody. There's a lot going on. Then on April 27, 1974, an eight-year-old boy and his friend found a 32 caliber revolver in a yard while playing. He brought it to his father, who called the police. The gun was matched to the murderers and then traced to Thomas Manny of Black Self Help. I, I was wondering if... That's where they stored the gun or like just they... out in somebody's yard. Oh, you know what? Sh I'm going to shut up because that doesn't make any. I just thought because they were on this streak at some point, like 
where was the gun all this time, right? Right. I, I mean, it, it. it could have been a, a place where they uh, kept the gun in, like, I don't know, a log or something. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. Like a hiding yeah. spot. And then they're like, hey, guys, yeah. murder time. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they, like, go to the hiding spot and then get the gun. And get the they're gun. Like, yeah, it's around. possible. I yeah. don't know. I'm not the OG. You are. <laughs> and on... <laughs> on May 1st, 1974, San Francisco PD executed a search warrant and arrested seven suspects. Larry Green, Manuel Moore, JCX Simon, who were charged with murder and conspiracy to commit murder, and Thomas Manny, as well as Black self-help employees, Clarence Jemerson, Douglas Burton, and Dwight Stallings, who were charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Manny, Stallings, Burton, and Jamerson were eventually released due to lack of evidence. Jesse Lee Cooks, who was already imprisoned for the murder of Francis Rose, was also charged with murder and conspiracy to commit murder. When police inspectors interviewed Harris's ex-wife, Carolyn Patton, she was still wearing Keita Haig's wedding ring on the little finger of her right hand. Uh-oh. Uh, the 17 day marriage still had the ring, huh? Yeah, still had the ring. Hmm. Local press accounts falsely report that the killings are, quote, initiation rituals, end quote, for membership in the Nation of Islam. And I just, the news is racist. And Mayor L. Joseph Alioto claimed that a statewide and perhaps nationwide, quote, vicious ring of murders called Death Angels, end quote, was behind the killings. And that perhaps more than 80 similar killings or there were more than 80 similar killings throughout the entire state. He stated that he believed the Death Angels to be directed by a man who lives in a Midwestern city, but did not name that man. So what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) The hell are you talking about, Mary Eliana? (laughs) He he lives in a little van down by the river. (laughs) And he only comes out at night. (laughs) What? Get out of here, Eliana. Police refused to support these claims, and Attorney General Evely J. Younger said, quote, We have no evidence to indicate that those responsible for the zebra killings in San Francisco committed murders outside the Bay Area. Local African-American leaders were affronted by the implication that the Nation of Islam organization was directly responsible for the murders. I'm sorry. You know what this reminds me of is when Trump is like, uh, was like, okay, so I heard you could drink bleach and that you could use the old Violet light, and then Fashion's like, "That's complete bullshit." So Alioto is Trump, and the Attorney General is Fauci. Fauci, and scene. So now now, you can see him in the background rolling his eyes, like, "Oh "Oh my god, this shit again!" I'm gonna have to clean this one up. They don't pay me enough. Uh, So now we're gonna get into the trial. Now, at the time, the 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 trial of, of the zebra killers was the longest trial in California history. Trial by jury commenced in March 1975 and ended a year later in March 1976. That is a long trial. It is. Now imagine the cost of the entire thing um, for so multiple defendants, lawyers, experts, witnesses, court time. uh, A lot. A lot. Uh, Charged in the murders were Larry Green, 
J.C.X. Simon, Manuel Moore, and Jesse Lee Cooks. The accused killers remained in jail before and during their trial. Anthony Harris was the first prosecution witness. Because of his involvement in some of the crimes, he at first invoked his constitutional privilege against self-incrimination. The court then granted Harris immunity from prosecution and ordered him to testify. He testified for 12 days, three days of direct examination and nine days of cross-examination. That's a lot of cross-examination. Yeah. Yeah. Providing details regarding the shootings. Uh, it sounds uh, exhausting. I don't know yeah. who who could hold up to that kind of that um, is a questioning. lot. That is yeah. a lot. Uh, Green, Moore, and Simon all testified and said they could account for their whereabouts, uh, which were elsewhere at the time of the assaults. Cooks did not testify. The defendants argued that Harris's main motive was revenge against Black Muslims and collection of the reward. But Harris said he contacted police primarily. To stop all these senseless killing. That's all. End quote. The jury, after 18 hours of deliberations, found the defendants guilty on all charges. Larry Green, JCX Simon, Manuel Moore, and Jesse Lee Cooks were each sentenced to life in jail. Isn't that interesting? After a year on trial. 18, 18 hours. hours. All yeah. that it took. I also wonder, I ask this every time when we talk about juries, was it really a jury of their peers right. or was it entirely snow? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't see the composition of the uh, jury mentioned anywhere. Yeah, just just curious. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it. I think sometimes it does make a difference in, yeah. in the outcomes of trials. Not to say that these guys should not have been found guilty. Yeah, they these were some bad dudes. definitely should have. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, Harris received a portion of that $30,000 reward and he, his wife, Deborah, and their newborn son were given new identities and relocated. There was a suspicion in law enforcement circles that not all zebra conspirators had been caught. And trash-ass Mayor Eliado said that the total zebra victim count might exceed 80 and suggested that the disappearance of numerous hitchhikers on California roads might be tied to the group. Um, oh boy, Mayor Eliado. <laughs> Mayor Alioto, (laughs) have a seat, okay? But uh, David Talbot, in his book, Season of the Witch, wrote that the zebra killing stopped after the arrests and, or the arrests, and he (laughs) agrees. This is not related, but when there was that insurrection, uh, yeah, what's his name? Schumer misspoke very badly and said this this recently there at there was an erection at the capitol <laughs> <laughs> and so i think i don't i can't remember what i said stopped after the arrests i'm i'm sure i've said it wrong i said it wrong but that's what i thought of i misspoke and my head went to erection uh so of course it did of course it did uh i'm a sick fuck not ashamed of it. That's my truth. <laughs> I'm going to start over again. But David Talbot, okay. in his book, Season of the Witch, wrote that the zebra killing stopped after the arrests. And he agrees with Earl Sanders that, quote, Harris exaggerated the dimensions of the zebra plot and even its official connection to the black Muslims, end quote. 
2015, J.C.X. Simon, at age 69, died in San Quentin State Prison. In 2017, Manuel Moore, at age 75, died while incarcerated at the California Health Care Facility in Stockton. In 2019, Larry Green, at age 67, was denied parole and must wait until 2024 for his next hearing. In 2020, Jesse Lee Cooks, at age 75, agreed to postpone a scheduled parole hearing until sometime after after his 80th birthday in 2025. It is kind of interesting how elderly these men are. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, prison reform talk now that um, we have a new administration. And one right. of the things on the table is let um, harmless elderly prisoners out. And yeah. I don't know, because these guys kill a lot of people. So I don't yeah, know if they're and- on the table. I don't know. There there have been cases of what we might consider elderly men going out and killing again. So <laughs> uh. it's not it just I mean, I, I think it would ha- they'd have to take into account their their health. Absolutely. Yes. Like if they're still pretty healthy and still getting around really good and they they're capable of killing people. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Are they ambulatory? Can they wipe their yeah. own butts? Uh, we don't <laughs> now, know. Eighty. That's that's pretty pretty old. So pretty, I don't know. Yeah. By, by then he may be toothless. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, you don't need teeth to kill people, though. Just a finger. <laughs> <at it. laughs> Just a figure of speech. Yeah. <laughs> Not uh, like literally toothless, uh, although, you know, that, he could be. I really thought you meant that, by, that he could use his teeth to kill somebody. <laughs> to kill people. I am a... you know, he's got a wheelchair. He can't get around real good, but he's got some teeth, man. He's he can kill got, people. I'm telling you. I wow, that's not what you meant. Okay, no. you know what? But it's really funny, though. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm glad we had this talk. Me too. <laughs> now I see the light. Uh, so, after Officer Rotea Guilford retired from SFPD, he became a close political advisor to former California State Assembly Speaker and San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown. Guilford has since passed away. So now we're going to get into our takeaways and what we think might have made these individuals snap. Uh, Go ahead, Beth. Go off, Queen. Well, these guys were super angry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I agree with Earl Sanders, uh, the guy we were extolling earlier. Uh-huh. They suffered from rage over what white people had done to black people. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about in episode one, this was a time when people, all kinds of people, were doing extreme things to implement change. And I think that was part of it. Mm-hmm. What I don't understand, and maybe you can tell me what you think. Yeah. I, I don't understand why people want to start a race war. Manson wanted to do that too. Uh-huh. And um, I guess it's so their people will come out on top, but the, the whole idea seems really weird to me. It seems weird to me too. I think we kind of talked about it a little bit in, in the first in an part earlier of it. episode. It yeah. Weird to me only because it serves no one. No purpose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I get um, being frustrated and, and angry. Um, I get wanting equality and equity, right? Equality is what people want. Equity is what they need. Um, And uh, having one race of people on top of another race of people is not 
going to solve any of that. It's always going to be fighting and, and uh, it's just not, it's not good. (laughs) Right. And history, history has told us this, right? Yes. I think of Rwanda. We know this. Yeah. Yeah. I think of Germany. Oh yeah, that's an excellent example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It doesn't, it doesn't work or serve anyone. So it's weird to me too. Okay. Glad we talked about this. <laughs> so, so I don't I don't think that Harris, Anthony Harris, was as innocent no. as he made himself out to be. I think he probably killed some people. Uh-huh. Um, I believe he got scared when he saw the composite picture because it looked like him. Yeah. So he thought it would be more beneficial to him to go to the police and blame the others for everything. Plus, he was probably pissed because he got fired from the black self-help for stealing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was the reward money, too. So right. that was an, another incentive. Um, but that means that he got away with murder. Mm, Viola Davis. Yeah, I get why they gave him immunity. Yeah, because uh, they wanted to get the other guys, but uh, it still sucks. It does. It does. Because you would like in a just system for everybody to be uh, brought to justice. Right. Um, I think it's kind of. I mean, it's it's better than nothing. I don't think anything in this justice system is ideal or works yeah, perfectly. True. Um, true that. Yeah, but I I agree with you, Beth. I think. Uh, my take was that it had to be a very unsettling time in San Francisco in the mid 70s. Yeah. Um, now, the music was lit, but the times yeah. were hard <laughs> and really scary for, for uh, I think, a lot of people. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of other people and maybe white people just didn't know, like, we could be killed at any moment. But then yeah. black people were like, well, shit, we could be rounded up and locked up for something we didn't do at any moment. So yeah. everybody is like on edge um and it's it's not new or surprising but the media and the default society aka white society had no clear understanding of groups that were not that were outside of the default right i.e black people the nation of islam and that mayor alioto his comments really did not help me me and my blood boil yeah um but it showed in their reporting um and it seemed 2021 eyes looking back seemed really obvious that they just didn't get it um right and black and brown people are all citizens right or not all of us but we're citizens of san francisco citizens of the community but not really portrayed as such in the news right and i i also thought that it was unfair to like blame the nation of islam for this um because it's pretty clear they were a splinter group doing their own thing yeah Yeah. um and again hindsight is 2020 but have things really changed i mean kyle rittenhouse (laughs) that young fellow shot a bunch of people uh and there was some white fuckery at the capitol uh and since the beginning of time uh you you would never see the government like we have to round up every person with a red hat and yeah. all, all of the, the people blue lives posting, posting about uh, yeah. MAGA and blue lives matter yeah, and, and all, all the like, round them all up, flags, round yeah. them all up. Uh, and we'll, we'll sort them out later. Exactly. Uh, and uh, it's black history month again. And I'm thinking about where we've come and the work that we have to do. And I was thinking about a quote from James Baldwin when I was doing my research into the show, which uh-huh. was, he said, uh, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious 
is to be in a stage of rage almost all of the time. And wow. it's not an excuse, just yeah. an explanation. Right. Um, yeah. No, I'm we're, I'm not sympathizing with these murderers in any way, no, shape, or no. form. Um, but you know, it makes sense to me. Just although, trying to figure out the yeah. ra- the rage. Yeah, yeah. Right. And not every not every black person <laughs> becomes a serial killer. I would argue <laughs> most of us do not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But they were as Beth or just, even hurt people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But just to bring it bring it home, Beth, my take is the same as yours. These guys were just really, really angry and pushed over yeah. the edge, did something really terrible with their rage. Yeah. Through terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So uh, here are some tips for walking alone at night. Head on a swivel, y'all. Be aware of your surroundings. Keep your eyes and ears open. Do not get distracted by something on your phone or whatever. Uh, Walk with purpose and do not stop. Wear comfortable shoes so that you can run if you need to. If you have to wear heels for a special occasion or work, keep a Spare pair of shoes in your bag for walking. However, it is the Rona, and I have not worn real shoes in four <laughs> days. Uh, but if if you have to go, if you have to walk around at night alone, wear comfortable shoes. Uh, take off any long necklaces or scarves, which would be easy for an attacker to grab. Invest in a personal safety device. We've shouted out many on the show, such as an alarm or whistle or self-defense flashlight, which will temp- 
temporarily blind an attacker or any sprays like pepper spray and my all-time favorite bear spray. Yeah. Uh, Stay away from alleyways and dark corners. If you do not feel safe, call somebody. Let them know you're walking home, where you are. Um, if somebody approaches you, do not lower your gaze. Instead, maintain eye contact. You know when, like, a dog, when you're, like, training yeah. a dog, and if you look at a dog in the eye, if the dog it respects you, he will look away. So, right. you know, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Looking at a potential enemy straight in the face might scare off your attacker. In fact, you could make them worry that you'll identify them if you call the police and trust your gut. One more thing I wanted to say about this case is the psychologist lady humanized herself. And she was raped, which was incredibly unfortunate uh, for her. But she survived. survived. Yes. In fact, uh, the guy thought that uh, he could call her for a date. In his... crazy mind mind believed that they would be friends and right tiptoeing through the tulips uh and live happily ever after which no no sir no so uh humanizing yourself humanizing yourself so thank you now we are i'm gonna move on to the shout out we're gonna tiptoe to the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or any other marginalized or othered mind um I want to use the word minoritized groups, even though they're not necessarily minorities. They're treated that way or true crime goodies. And I wanted to shout out because we were on the Kung Fu tip in the last right. part of right. this and black people love Kung Fu. I wanted to shout out Warrior and it's based on Bruce Lee's writings. And oh. uh, look, Kung Fu is awesome. And the cast is, the show is uh, called Warrior. It's a mostly Asian cast. There are some indigenous characters, black characters. It takes place like Western times. And it is Hmm. just so cool to see like non-white cowboys doing really cool stuff. And the white people in the show are terrible human beings. (laughs) I mean... And they are, I'm, I'm looking at old Whitey like, these are some slurs I've never even heard before. Uh, and they, they just say the wildest, terriblest things and do the worst things. And they get their asses kicked at every opportunity. Um, and I just, it, I, I don't love what they say or do, but I love it when they answer for it. Uh, at the hands of a, of a non-white person. Um, and it's streaming on all the platforms, HBO Max, Hulu, YouTube TV, Amazon Prime. And you can even purchase episodes for a couple of dollars if you want to. Wow, uh, so I've never heard of this one. It is so good. I'm going to uh, look for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, action-packed, all the things, l- cool stories. Also, um, I just wanted to shout out to all the streaming services. If you go to any place on your phone, on your TV, on your computer, and you see, I'm going to go buy a book or something, and there's a highlighting, highlighted section for Black creators or Black content or Black businesses, uh, look into it and see if there's anything you can buy, because we should support um, Black yeah. businesses. Um, and that's all I got. What do you got? So my shout out is a PBS show called Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Okay. So, you know, I like period dramas and I, mysteries. I, you know, I do, girl. <laughs> so tell us about it. <laughs> so this is both a period drama and a mystery. Uh, it's about a female private detective in Victorian London. Oh. So it deals with a lot of women's issues um, since, you know, she's a private detective and uh-huh. female. And uh, the men, of course, think that it's no job for a woman. So ah, fuck off. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, one of those, uh, you, you might probably wouldn't, I don't know if you would like it or not, but. <laughs> well, if you invited me over and we could have a sleepover and watch it with popcorn and uh, <laughs> snacks, I would love to watch it with okay. you. It's, it's what another one of those feel good shows. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, scooping up lately. <laughs> Scoopity whoop. Let's yeah. all get all the good feels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's- thank you. So that is Miss Scarlet and the Duke and Warrior. Um, well, that is all for today. Where can the people find us, Ben? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That's right. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point 
when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.